At Goodfellow, we are proud to support Outside In, a charity that aims to provide a platform for artists who face significant barriers to the art world due to health, disability, social circumstances or isolation. To find out more information or to donate, head to our website materialshub.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to the Materials Inside podcast by Goodfellow, the podcast that will bring materials, knowledge and science, along with art and design, together in the same podcast. Goodfellow is a UK company based in Huntingdon that supplies over 70,000 materials to different industries all over the world. Their team of scientists and sales and marketing experts want to make the materials world accessible to everyone. During the next few weeks, we will be talking about materials from aluminium to zinc for applications from satellites to planes, cars, ventilators, pieces of art and furniture. How do we link it all? Wait and see, or even better, listen to our podcasts. Presented by Joel Alexio, the Global Marketing Manager of Goodfellow, he will be speaking with a range of guests from industry professionals to public figures, artists, celebrities and Goodfellow's own experts. Today, instead of focusing on one of particular material, we'll be talking about our charity partner. Outside In is an amazing charity which we carefully selected to partner with for the duration of this series of podcasts. Their mission statement resonates quite strongly with our own. If you have listened into any of our previous episodes, you'll know that Outside In aim to make the art world a fairer place for everyone. They do this by supporting artists who may have otherwise struggled to make themselves heard or seen within the art community. Supporting artists who face significant barriers to the art world due to health, disability, social circumstances or isolation. Their passion to inspire people to be creative and strive for the best opportunities is what really stands out. When creating the Materials Inside podcast, our aim was to inspire everyone to become more engaged with the scientific and material worlds. In this initial series, we wanted to inspire artists and young people in particular. And that's why many of our special guests have been artists and designers. It's also why we are strive to make the materials world much more understandable and accessible to everyone. Our technical team are amazing and always ready to answer all and any questions you may have when it comes to materials. Today we'll be joined by some amazing artists who have been supported by Outside In. Jacob Rock described himself as an urban archaeologist collecting rubbish from the roadside and turning it into outstanding and unique creations. i also be talking to Daniel Hodson, an artist with an incredible and inspiring story. From being at absolute rock bottom, Daniel has grown to be a successful artist and now proudly sits on a board at Outside In. But before we meet the artists, I'm joined by Mark Steen, founder and director of Outside In. With solid aspirations for the art world, Mark has worked tirelessly to make his dreams and the dreams of many artists a reality. Hello, Mark. Thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Um, so, Mark, um, as an artist yourself, can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you became interested in, in art? Um, my mother, being Italian, introduced me to art at a very young age um, and I was very fortunate to have it as something that I've always maintained and loved. I had a very difficult childhood at times and art was my one way of escaping that. 
and I found it a means to uh, create another world I could escape into and just the pleasure and the activity doing it. Yeah, from a very, I think, from as long as I can remember. And uh, what is the inspiration behind starting a ch the charity Outside In? So Outside In started many, many years ago now. Uh, it's basically two, two aligning life experiences that brought it about. The first, really, that had the greatest impact was uh, when I was in my sort of late 20s, I'd had a period of mental ill health and was struggling to come to terms with the world, as a lot of young, young men do. And uh, I stopped really practicing as an artist um, and started volunteering at a day centre in Brighton um, for people with learning disabilities. And in that period, the space that the day centre was taking place in was a Victorian church hall it was a very old building and there must have been about 80 or 90 people there and it was a very noisy environment a lot of sort of activity and buzz and the wonderful manager there Kathy Pettit said to me would you like to have a little art group to work with and I said yes I'd love that and I was set up in the corner of this sort of hall um, with a table with some cheap poster paints and paper and with eight uh, people who attended the centre to work with so we all I set up the materials we all started painting and working together and I was immediately um, surprised blown away uh, by the talent of the people sat around the table and I hadn't really gone into the day centre with any expectation that I would find anything or that you know that experience would would come and it left me so inspired that I um, went and organized an exhibition for the end of my project so I had about six to eight weeks to work with them and I thought as a nice finishing event I'd exhibit it and show this beautiful work and when I finished the project and went to collect the work I asked the staff for it and they said the work is no longer available it isn't here and I said well I've organize an exhibition I'd like to get it framed um, just tell me where it is and I'll organize it they said well actually the work's been pulped and turned into paper mache um, so people make pots out of it and I was so shocked at this cycle of creative abuse and neglect at the time just the awful waste of people lives creativity these people trapped in the cycle of making art but never being exhibited or understood or even recognised as artists or having anything of worth to say or contribute um, to society. And I think that really was a formative experience that led me to um, try and challenge and change the art world to make it a fairer place, uh, more equitable, with more people having the opportunity to sit at the table two sort of widened definitions about who is an artist and who isn't, um, what is art and what isn't, uh, just the sort of questioning the value base we use when we talk about art uh, as to who gives value to art. And uh, I sought to change the attitudes of people like the people in the day centre who hadn't recognised the people they're working with as artists or having a value. And... Um, I then strove to get the work seen in 
prestigious and important galleries so that it was given credence and value and that audiences who came to visit would see the work and put aside their prejudices and attitudes and look at it as art. Um, and in that journey, which started oh God, 30 years ago now, it's been a long one, but that, that, that has been the sort of pivotal point. I mean, apart from that, my experience as an artist myself, having trained as an artist, having gone to the Slade and sort of had a burgeoning career, was doing all right, and just found the art world such a brutalising place itself because it's so inaccessible. It's a commodity-based industry where it looks at art as a product, not at the artist and the person making it. Not in the way that's any sort of gentle thought or kindness given <laughs> about the maker. Um, so, yeah, those two experiences really came together and led me to form the charity. And um, after 15 years of charity, uh, outside in started in 2006, and over 5,000 artists. Do you think? Do you think that that vision, that idea, changed? I think everything evolves and changes, but I think the premise um, that the art world isn't a fair and equally accessible space is is true and has been consistent throughout. And I think the simplicity of that message and it's obvious in terms of the truth has been what's allowed outside in to make such head, headway and reach so many people. So um, the idea 15 years ago when you start outside in is still valid at the moment. We still need outside in, yeah. As far as I, I mean, from my own opinion, I think we're going to need outside in for quite a while yet. I think even though there have been changes in the art world, I still think there's a, a lot of our artists who don't get um, a fair or equal opportunity, you know, who... Um, don't get the chance to exhibit whose whose work isn't given um, any set of sort of you know considerations at all. Curators or directors still default to artists coming from a set background. Um, so I think yeah, it, it, that basic idea hasn't really changed. I think what we have evolved is that we've realised that the art world and artists um, are more about than just exhibiting work or showing it it's also about that artists need to have um their presence and their um, voices heard in different ways so we've uh, supported artists to research and engage with collections of art so that their voice can be heard as opposed to that of a historian or academic um, trying to humanize the art world in that way we've also um, trained artists to gain um, opportunity to lead creative workshops to curate exhibitions and I think that sort of need for a wider portfolio skill set is important because very few artists ever make enough money from selling their work and many um, do a whole set of other things to survive but I think also if those those voices and that experience is vital because I think art and culture is so removed from the majority of people's lives unlike sport which is another important activity that most people engage with. Art isn't, you know, galleries and museums are given huge amounts of public funding, but how many people feel comfortable really going into a contemporary art gallery or, or a museum um, and engage with it? How many working class people truly go into those spaces and how much does it service an informed elite? Um, so I think that there's a lot of questions about how do we make culture more democratic and more meaningful and um, more relevant 
to more people. And what changes have you seen in the last few years in, in art in general? I've seen um, a growing awareness that there are uh, uh, you know, more artists making different art than people thought of before, and that's partly because of Outside In, in that um, there are artists who are self-taught, who discover art in different ways, who do need to be considered, and their work has had an influence in terms of the style and ways of working of other artists who are trying to seek similar sort of originality or authenticity in their own work. Uh, I don't know if you know Christopher Wood or Ben Nicholson, who did a similar thing with Alfred Wallace, who was a sort of fisherman who lived in St. Ives, painted very sort of lovely, beautiful, naive paintings of boats and the sea um, using old ship paint and bits of wood. And I mean, he was a complete eccentric in terms of his um, local community. People didn't see him as an artist, but he, these two very um, uh, middle class and informed artists saw the value in his work. And, and through, his, through their sanctioning of it, he's now in places like the Tate, major collections and his work's massively valued. So I think there's something that artists who don't fit the system bring to the art world that makes it fresh and new um yeah because of their journeys and and in terms of the art world more broadly uh i think it's still pretty much the same you know it's it's the museums are very much still driven in many ways by set thinking about culture and history and the contemporary art world is about celebrity product and um value you know auctions and creating money interesting way of, of, uh, of looking at that and of course we can see that unfortunately um, what about in the last of course year now uh, with covid of course we all suffer and we all have um, issues with with, uh, with this covid how has the pandemic affected outside in interestingly for us um, we are quite able to adapt to the lockdown situation uh, as we've were evolving and have evolved a sort of um, digital program of activity uh, around our events and training. And what became apparent with the lockdown was that our audiences grew and changed. In, and, you know, that we were able to engage with a, a newer um, type of artist who, who hadn't come to our events or exhibitions in the past. People who are limited geographically or because of their disability they're not able to leave their house or um, we noticed an increase in visually impaired and blind artists who you know traveling would always be a slight um, issue or more for them and and also that sort of online community suddenly became vital in terms of connecting uh, our artists together so we ran uh, a series of events called share art where artists come together and some of our artists get a chance to share images of their work and talk about them. It's, it's often the first time many of our artists will have spoken about their work publicly and the sort of digital platform offers a very safe way to do that. But also the audience then has been, you know, very wide. So we've had people across the UK and internationally hearing artists talk about their work and through that process, you know, you, you gain confidence endorsement and um, a chance to be heard so i mean for me i think going forward is about how do we maintain that very sort of vibrant digital community and world that we've discovered and 
bring it forward into a hopefully a world where lockdown is no longer the norm and we can merge the digital and physical. But I, I know that some of our artists have struggled and many people have found that difficult. Um, but I'm very glad that Outside In has been able to improve people's lives during that period. Yes, well, the online presence has been uh, something that we've been talking to some of the outside in artists and they all said that how easy it is to, 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 to know people and show um, their work through the, the online presence. And do you think after the restrictions lift, is this online presence still be a strong part of what outside in is going to carry on doing? Yeah, if I, if I share with you um, my and mine and our plan for the future is that um, what we'd like to, to have is a sort of multi-purpose virtual building that houses not just exhibitions, but has spaces for collections, temporary exhibitions, has this sort of drop-in cafe where people can talk about art. Because um, we ca we've realised the value and the need for that sort of virtual space, but to have it as real as possible and as accessible as possible using film and BSL but also having a, a level of interpretation that allows for far greater depth and understanding about work. I mean have the first virtual building you can walk into and have different rooms you can explore um, to have outcomes of our research and projects um, housed in it. So yeah I think there's something very exciting there and I think also the bringing together of um, both a physical and digital audience through hybrid events will be very exciting. So people who can't leave the house but want to take part can be present and engage in our physical exhibitions or artist talks um, and contribute. And I think that sort of, you know, the opportunity to make a sort of a really connected art world between people who are physical and able to interact and people who can't. Um, and that's an exciting and, and, and new way forward, I think. And I think is, this is what breaking the barriers uh, um, uh, is, is all about, is people. And uh, just a year ago, before, before the lockdown, of course, we, we used to say that we want to have meetings face to face. And if it's not face to face, people gets quite uh, upset with that. Of course, a year late and after three lockdowns, we, we are so used to this online uh, reality that is actually a great way to, to carry on. Um, talking about those three lockdowns, of course, we've been in UK um, and, and of, you also mentioned also some uh, mental health issues that you had. And one of the things that we've been talking last few months is, is the strain on, on mental health. Do you think art has helped people cope with that? Yeah, I'd say being creative helps with so many things. And I think it's, I mean, what what interests me, I think, with art is that we worry so much about it being about skill or about pleasing people that we lose the benefit of just being creative in a way that is innately our own. So you can never be anybody else. And if you can make art for purposes and for your own self, it inevitably helps you. Um, and can be a form of healing and catharsis and allow you to cope with very difficult life situations. I mean, the, I've seen some amazing work produced in the darkest of spaces. This, this artist who um, was in a German concentration camp who had a learned disability who did these amazingly beautiful drawings that he never knew would ever be seen, but articulated profoundly you know, his situation. And they were full of hope. 
at some deep level. So art is a powerful, one of the most powerful and innate things we have. You know, I think the first things we ever did as a species was put our hands on cables and, and, and sort of marked around it and tried to create the world outside, inside. And sadly, we're just told so many different things about what art is rather than discovering it for ourselves. That's, that's a good way to, to answer the, the, the question. And, and for you as an artist, since you start uh, um, the charity, do you think Outside In um, had some impact in your, in your art? Uh, my art? Oh, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, having sort of had a period of ill health recently myself and re re-engaged with my painting, um, I've, I've learned to just switch off that inner voice that's always seems to be there when I'm doing something which is sort of undermining and criticizing and just verbalizing and just trusting to my innate response and you know trusting that I know what's right inside and and I see that in so many of our artists where they have that ability to make and not worry and to enjoy just making so I'm hoping and realize that I've rediscovered that pleasure myself um yeah, no, I've, I've, I've realised that to properly be an artist, you have to not think about it or worry about being an artist and just enjoy the process. What, what do you think is the, the impact that Outside In um, is, is having in, in other artists and also uh, in, in art in general? Do you, can you see that change already that adjusts to, to an Outside In approach instead of just a conventional approach in art? Definitely. Uh, I can definitely see the sort of ramifications of presenting art the way that we do that, you know, in that it's sort of very much artist-centric. It's about the artist being at the heart of everything we do. So I think there's a sort of challenge around working equally and fairly um, because it immediately stops you labelling and categorising people, whether that is around their medical, medical or you know, um, their disability or whether it's about the way they make art or the way they live or colour of their skin. So if you look at individuals, it's a much more interesting conversation instead of trying to put them into clumsy groupings. And I think what we've done is allow that to happen so that artists self-define themselves on their own terms, allowing them to have a say about how they're described, what words are used to put next to their art. Um, yeah, I mean, those sort of very important decisions, which are all about power in a funny way, because if the power is held in the curator or the institution, they're the people who say what does and doesn't come in, but also how it comes in and under whose terms. Um, and I think there's a question there that we, as an organisation, um, and our artists are asking, which is how do you change that sort of power imbalance where the people who make the work are the more important and what they say it's about and their thoughts on it are of equal if not more importance than the art world professionals trained in some academic institution so yeah i think that's that's the impact i see some of the artists of course the art that they they, they produce is, is in some points very personal um does doesn't become more difficult to receive uh, criticisms when the, the art is so personal? Uh, and do you have any advice for artists who have received negative comments? <laughs> that, that's so interesting. It is, I think there's a sort of truth about feedback 
and people talking about your work. And I think it's it's the need for confidence in yourself that is the hard ask, and especially if you're working in a way that is very personal. I have no doubt that Van Gogh worked in a way that was very personal to him and many other established and famous artists, but maybe they had more self-belief and ability to ignore or not listen too closely to what others say. Uh, and I think it's that sort of need for self-belief and confidence that's fundamental to everybody at some level. And it, it's if you've never been told what you're doing is right, or given the sort of uh, sort of validation or encouragement, it's almost impossible not to be hurt by what people say because. You know, your fragility is the, about the fact that you've not been treated fairly or equally or given a set of sense of, you know, your own self-worth or value. Um, so I'd say, most importantly, what Outside In can do is, is to allow that sense of being part of a community, being respected, being validated by charities that works with very prestigious and important partners. But in that sort of... Um, welcoming of artists that need our help they're on that first step of self-belief and confidence and you know some people will always be upset um, or ha have a struggle with rejection but it's a sort of better to engage if you want to and have that tough lesson because you know it, it's part of the process as well you know not everybody succeeds in terms of selling their work necessarily getting exhibited but what's more important is that you enjoy making and you make art for the right reasons and and at that stage it's also important to have some support like you said from from outside in and 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 other other people uh, around to for for those criticism we, we, we almost could say that the world is is unfair lots of times because uh, we, we we get lots of negative comments all of us in whatever we we do so it's just the way that we we handle that and the support that we have to handle that and it's great to have outside in to support uh, the artists in this case the artists through that um do you think um start or enter the, the world of, of art is, is difficult for, for everyone that wants to, to do that. Do you think the society can change to become more more friendly to those who struggle to, to, to enter that, that world? Oh, it definitely, definitely um, can change for the better. I mean, I, I mean it, it's, it's a sort of sad indictment, I think, that you know, we haven't seen a major exhibition by, say, for example, a learned disabled artist in any of our major institutions yet. Um, so, you know, there's a long way to go in that, sh in, in, in that way. Um, but I think that what needs to happen is that people need to be more compassionate, empathetic, and look beyond their own prejudices and stigma to the individual in front of them. You know, if I put it down to my experience in that day centre where the people who work there you know, were kind people. They weren't bad people. You know, they probably liked art. They probably liked, you know, looking at some post-impressionist landscape. But they hadn't the wherewithal to um, challenge or even be aware of the values and beliefs they had. And I think we have a responsibility to hold the mirror up to the art world to show people the things that aren't right, you know, um, to show them that, you know, we all 
want and would love to engage in making and, and taking part in seeing art, but we're not all equally able to do so. And I think by holding up the mirror and pointing it out, um, it, it will change. And I think people just need to... I think this, sometimes I'm shocked by the lack of compassion. I'm also shocked by the hidden prejudice and stigma in our society. And, you know, it, it's just you have to scratch very deep <laughs> sometimes. No, and it makes makes lots of sense. When when you start the the podcast and uh, and uh, everybody was asking us what what you want to do with the podcast. One of the things that we always said from the beginning, before we actually heard about about outside in, was we want to break the barriers in between different worlds. And um, and when we got the chance to to, to choose a charity to 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 support like we, we did outside in outside in stand out exactly because of the same uh, kind of, of message that they want to um, they break break those this those barriers in between different worlds and how important is for outside in of course the donations uh, and and the partnerships with the companies outside of the art world we are i mean the, the support of a wider group of partners is is vital to the charities ongoing activity. I mean, donations of any shape or form are greatly appreciated. And those sort of funds are vital, the sort of core funding, the ability that, um, you know, we need to be able to pay staff salaries and to keep our artists being engaged with and supported. Um, that money is always the hardest to acquire. I mean, we've worked, you know, outside of the art world and have historically had sort of corporate partnerships. Um, we've had exhibitions in businesses in the past, in Mayfair um, and in um, big office, big offices uh, in the city of London, for example, and they've brought in, you know, both um, new patrons. They've, we've sold work, but you know, there's also an interest in a new audience that we reach through that work of people who probably have less um, blind blinkered, you know, by not necessarily being from the art world and. Um, We'll look at the work differently. So corporate sponsorship, private giving. We are an Arts Council funded organisation, but the Arts Council's funding covers roughly less than a third of our total budget that we need to raise every year. So um, we have a patron scheme. Um, it doesn't cost much to become a patron of Outside In. It's one and a half thousand a year. You get um, a chance to meet with our artists, take part in special patron events. We also offer corporate sponsorship um, and there's a sort of you know, a donations option on our website. And um, also, if you feel like it, please do contact me to discuss anything further if you're interested in supporting or working with us. We have all the information, of course, on our website about Outside In and also how to donate. And uh, we hope we can help as much as, as we can. Uh, <laughs> now, um, now, outside in support of 2,600 artists in all over the country, uh, and you already mentioned earlier a little bit, uh, but I'm going to ask you now, what do you see for the future of outside in? Uh, I'd like us to be almost like, you know, um, like a default for people. When they meet somebody who's an artist who they can see is making work but it's sort of not really going anywhere because of their life situation and they may be on a council estate and you know for what they might be sort of struggling with some mental health 
that people immediately default, oh, you just, you know, outside ins to the organisation that, that can help you. But we're just almost like word of mouth as a sort of national organisation supporting artists that we have further extended our physical sort of footprint from the Midlands, where we already have a, a base at Compton Verney and in Warwickshire um, and in Birmingham, through to Manchester um, to establish a further base, hopefully in the north further, so Yorkshire, Scotland and possibly to the west and Bristol and Wales, that we have um, hopefully found a home for us as well at some point. I mean, we'll have a, a virtual home, like I said, but a physical home, because currently, you know, we are purely led by partnership working um, in terms of how we operate, which I think is a strength. But yeah, I'd like a home. <laughs> That's um, a, a great message and we hope we can we can help a little bit to, to, to achieve that. We're definitely going to uh, uh, keep an eye on outside in and, and work close to, to you and, and of course the artists as much as we can. Mark, I know that you're always very busy, so thank you very much for your time today. We're going to have a conversation with some of the artists after. So again, thank you for all your help. Thank you so much. And thank you, good fellows, for your support for Outside In. It's so appreciated. I mean, uh, just helping to raise our profile, um, giving us that sort of extra lift and boost is, is much appreciated. So thank you to all there, to the whole team. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Next, we have Daniel Hudson, an inspiring artist who has shown growth and resilience in times of hardship. Daniel found Outside In after spending some time in prison, but her journey after her successful appeal is truly inspirational. Hello, Danielle. Thank you very much for joining me to talk uh, a little bit about your work. Uh, hi, thank you for having me today. No problem. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about your career as an artist and how it developed? Um, I have been an artist um, in the sense of being um, a fine artist for about 10 years. Um, and I was in fashion before that. So I've always been a creative. I studied um, art after I left school. I did the BTEC. And then I went to St. Martin's, I did fashion, um, but it was 10 years ago when I uh, first started making, uh, or more than 10 years ago, when I first started making paintings and uh, drawing more as a courier. And uh, it's just gone from strength to strength. I know that uh, your love for, for, for art uh, um, started kind of later in life, it was not something that starts straight away from, from the beginning. Do you want to talk, tell us a little bit more about that? Ah, yes. So, you know, um, my, my uh, experience with art as a child was just, you know, you just draw stuff. And, I, and I, had, I had teachers and people tell me that I was good at drawing and I was always the, like, the one whose pictures were held up in class to be, um, you know, the one I did well. And so I've, I've always had a relationship to um, painting and drawing, but it was, yeah, in later life when it, it became a career. Of course, the podcast is, is about Outside In and about the charity that supports artists. I'm, I'm quite interested to know how did Outside In help you and uh, what was the experience behind that? So um, Outside In help you to, to, to make your, your, your art live? Because I won a, a competition um, from Outside In. So I, I was in fashion until I was about um, 24 or something. And then um, I, and I would sell... Uh, t-shirts I'd always made t-shirts um, but it was when it was when I went to prison that I 
started making art because I found myself in a place where I had nothing and that was the one thing that I could keep with me and so um, I started drawing, just doodling, just scribbling on pieces of paper and those doodles reminded me of who I was and the things that I know and like about myself and so even though bad things had happened they reminded me who I am and so from that I drew strength um, and I started making more more drawings. Um, those, those doodles are actually something that I've done since I was a child that my nan taught me how to do um, when I was very little. So she would scribble on a piece of paper for me and I would look into it and I would find faces. And so I would always just take that up myself. So I would just take scraps of paper and scribble on them and look into them and find all these faces and there were so many things going on. And so um, when I kind of returned to that practice, um, something that I hadn't done for a while in prison, it reminded me who I was. So then I also went to the art department when I was there because um, that's where I would gravitate to and there are options to go to an art department. And we had a really great teacher and her name was Jackie. And so um, I think she'd noticed that I was really struggling because I was in an environment that I wasn't used to. I was um, distressed about the situation and I think she understood that I was probably, you know, um, needed a bit of help. So she handed me a, a brush, a paintbrush and some oil paints. And she, she said to me, why don't you paint a self-portrait? And so she gave me a mirror as well. And I sat there and I painted a self-portrait and I went from uh, wanting to not be in this world anymore to looking at something and going, wow, I, I can do something, can remembering things about me um, that I've perhaps not been aware of because I was so distressed. So then that changed, that day changed me in a profound way. And so I started making, um, working on that painting um, and that won the Costler Award, and that was um, shown in the Royal Festival Hall. And then I went on to make another painting, which was my face, and this time it was more distorted, it was more abstract, and that was the one that won, that won the Outside In um, prize. So, yeah, it's difficult for me to, to think about my beginning as an artist um, without that beginning, because that was where I realised I could do this. Obviously, from there, um, I I didn't think I was going to be an artist. You know, I just it was right at that moment in my life. It was something that um, connected me with the better side of myself, like a more positive one. And so um, it was. I sold my first artwork from prison. Somebody came in and bought a piece from me for a hundred pound, which, when you're in prison, is an absolute fortune. Um, and then uh, obviously winning those awards. So when I came out of prison, I was released um, from my, uh, what's it called? My appeal, my appeal trial. I was released from the Royal Courts of Justice. Um, I had won two art competitions and I was in two uh, high profile for me exhibitions. And my experience of going to exhibitions before that was 
um, going to the Serpentine Gallery, which I used to live near and walk in there. And, and I never thought that I could be an artist that showed artwork in those spaces because that felt like that was something that other people did. And, you know, people with a different background to me, um, people, you know, who were a lot more I don't know, further on in their life than I was. So, um, and they were mostly dead. So, um, yeah, I didn't really realise that I could be an, an, art, an artist and exhibit. So that was my experience of seeing, wow, I can, I can first make art. It makes me feel good and I can exhibit it. And then I actually went on to sell a lot of it so I could make a living from it, I thought. <laughs> so um, I thought, well, this, this has got to be good. I mean, the making a living from it didn't really happen for it and hasn't really happened. But um, keeping me feeling good about myself and um, able to experience and articulate the world is definitely something that art um, gives me. Um, your your story, Danielle, is, is really, really impressive. And, and uh, we had a conversation just before uh, um, this conversation with you, uh, with Mark, uh, and the reasons why he set up um, Outside In. You are, you are one of the examples of why Outside In needs to exist and needs to, 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 to help artists like yourself to, to, to get out there. I just want to go a little bit back on your on your if you're okay with that on your on your life and you mentioned already of course the prison time um do you want to tell us a little bit of that transition from you have a, a normal life you you actually work in fashion at, at the time and then something happened you had a period of time in prison and then you come out do you want to talk a little bit about that because i think it's very inspirational your 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 story so i i mean i grew up in telford which is I mean, it's like this small town, really. It was being developed at the time. I think it was like all fields. And I was in a new place in lots of fields and nothing really happened. But I've, I'm I'm so definitely a creative person. Um, there was no outlet for that for me as a child, um, which was, was difficult. But my, my mother had studied, uh, not studied, worked as a fashion designer when I was little. She used to make um, leatherwear and uh, she made me really, really quite incredible clothes. I, I remember going to school as an eight-year-old dressed in um, red leather miniskirt, big leather jacket uh, with all big pleated ruffled sleeves and red boots. So she gave me a taste for things that are more exciting and so I was always standing out at school I was, I was always the one dressed a bit strange um, and so I think it was kind of how I was you know had an outlet and I, I used to read the Sunday papers um, the times and they always used to mention Central St Martins because Alexander McQueen and John Galliano were um, like big at the time and they were like the, the fashion darlings and I would pour over these pages and there was only a couple sometimes with these beautiful clothes and I just knew that's what I had to do and then we went on a trip with school to London to the Natural History Museum and I was very young and I just thought my god I've got to live here and so my dream since I can remember was to go to St Martin's and study fashion and uh, so after school I did a BTEC and I did art and design, which was frowned upon at the time because people did A-levels and people that did B-techs were DOSs apparently, according to what people thought where I was from. 
And uh, but it, they was a brilliant art and um, art and design one, and the teachers were just incredible, and they were so encouraging. We did things um, like life drawing, and we did amazing projects, and just really thought outside of the box. So I think they really set me up for applying to Saint Martin's. Whereas you know the part of my BTEC that was done with the A level people, they were like, no, you can't go there. You can't apply to Saint Martin's. Don't don't even waste your application. They don't take people from Telford. You're not going to go there, and and I was so determined. I thought, well, I have to do this. This is like this is my dream since I can remember, so I have to go. And so I was accepted. I went for my interview. I was so nervous, and uh, I put on all my <laughs> nicest clothes. And um, you know, I didn't have much at the time. I, I used to look after myself, so I, I pulled together something and got myself there. And um, I got I got to the interview and I was shaking and I had this really amazing portfolio. It was all like um, I'd done this thing inspired by gangsters and it was always uh, I always wanted to be a gangster written all over this kind of silk that was stained and it was all really over the top. Um, I guess because I let my imagination go wild and just make the things that I wanted to make. I wasn't um, I didn't have any boundaries on that. And so I got into St. Martin's and I moved there and it's terrifying because actually I realised I know nothing about fashion at all. I know I know nothing. I can draw nice pictures of clothes, but I didn't really understand what clothes were. And I, I, I guess I learned them. I remember going to school in the most, well, fashion school, in the most terrible things. And everyone, uh, you know, thinking, God, I'm in fashion, but I'm taking a carry back to school with my things in. Because um, I wasn't very, you know, I wasn't a rich student. I didn't have any money and I didn't really understand what fashion was, but I was thrust into my dream. And so I was determined to make it happen and I worked really hard. And I made all my best friends there and they're all there. And so I left St. Martin's when I was uh, 20 or 21. And I started selling things in Portobello Market um, with one of my boyfriend's sisters selling t-shirts. And they used to fly out and I thought, wow, this is great, I can make stuff and sell it. So I sold those and then um, I progressed through the ranks and I did um, other market stores with graffiti stencil t-shirts and uh, that was great. And I always did lots of freelance projects so I would apply to do uh, all kinds of different freelance work from dressing nightclubs. Um, to styling, I've done some styling. So I just, I just kind of worked freelance and just decided that I wanted to pattern cut because I think um, a lot of making clothes was, was pattern cutting. So I studied pattern cutting for years part time. I also, then then I got together uh, with a friend of mine, uh, Shashti Hauger. Um, she's married now, so Shashti Willett. And uh, we made this handbag label. This this woman wanted her handbags. And she came to me and said, can you make a handbag? I said, yeah, I can make a handbag, of course. But I'd never made a handbag before. I didn't even carry a handbag. And if you remember, I took a carrier bag to uh, St. Martin's with me for a while. So, um, so yeah, I said, I can do a, <laughs> carry, a, a handbag. And so I made this handbag and she crocheted it together. I cut the pattern and uh, in, we cut it out in leather and Kirsty crocheted it together and we sold them and we put these um, beads on the handles. And so then we, we had a handbag business and then we were supported by the Prince's Trust. And, uh, and so we did that for a while. 
um, and she, she carried it on when I left and I, I went and, and travelled for a while and then I came back to London and yeah, I was like, I need to, I need to work again. So I worked in costume uh, with a friend of mine who had a costume agency. So I kind of have had my hand in lots of creative pies and I think it's all helped me, um, especially when I did my MA, to to make more exciting things because I just have so many different levels of experience with uh, creating and making things. And then something happened in your life that that changed uh, your life, and then and then moving forward to to the days of today, how did that part of your life, the the, the, the time in prison, um, affect uh, uh, your art? Well, I think so. At the time, at the time when I was um, arrested, I was selling, um, I was selling t-shirts in Topman, um, with a, you know, and so I was really, when I mean, it was, but it was, it was very difficult. It was, uh, it was stressful because it cost us a lot of money to do that. It, it costs a lot of money to be a young designer, and so when I went to prison, I was, I realised I lost everything. You have to start again. You know, you got to, um, or you bro you broken down. There's nothing. Who who you thought you were, you're not anymore. And so you've got to accept that that's gone and move forward. And I think that experience informs my artwork now because I'm not afraid of letting go. Like I will make some beautiful marks in my artwork and my painting now, but I will quite happily just rub them out and paint over them because I think attachment or I don't know it, I think you can learn a lot I, I think it's not like life there's there's something like life about um what I what I learned that I put into my painting and things do change things do happen and I think that's what makes things interesting I think things that just follow one linear path can be quite dull um, not to say we all need bad experiences, but we will all have bad experience. And I want, so I want my, you know, whatever those bad experiences are. So I want my painting to reflect that and not just be this perfect idyllic thing. I want there to be areas of t tension, areas of difficulty. And they're all going to get along together just fine because that's what life is. So yeah, that, that experience does inform my, my painting for sure. When 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 I look at your some of your paintings on outside in website, um, they do they do talk about the communication and talk to someone. Um, is that is that the what what you got out of, of of that time that you 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 spend away? The first exhibition that I did was for um, outside in at the Pallant House Gallery in the studio there, and so it was. The most recent experience that I reflected on and I remember I called that exhibition generosity and it was because the thing that really mattered more than anything was the contact with people like people that you loved of course you make contacts while you're in prison you're not isolated from people um, well I wasn't but you miss the, the people that you love and those connections and the people that came and gave you their time because it wasn't easy to go there. It wasn't a pleasant experience to go through. We're very generous. 
and they really gave themselves and I and I think I kind of just came away with the feeling that giving yourself is the most generous you can be and it's also the most rewarding um, thing to do in life so that was my um, exhibition that I focused on and I actually just mined my experience I just looked at what had happened and used it in an artistic way because I didn't know how to make an, an exhibition then or make art and I mean I don't think anyone really knows how to make art because it's, it's so many things but I didn't really know what I was doing but I knew that I needed to articulate um, what I'd been through so I used that um, and I made portraits um, using again my own image and cutting it up and patching it together and I think that was um, formative because that's where I started thinking about um, fragments and how we're all different people and how all these different peoples or different uh, personas or different versions of ourselves come together to form the whole so that kind of formed my idea then um, yeah, that exhibition was really interesting. And I also doodled. I, I began to mix the doodles with the figurative, um, which I, 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 again, I went back to later on in my art career. Um, and I still do now to a degree, but I, I don't um, paint from real life. I paint more from imagination. I think I think your story is really, really interesting and, of course, very a great great way of inspire people that are in in a, in, a, in a bad place and of course with this all those all those lockdowns in the last few uh, few months uh, we always feel a little bit like that we want to get out so um that's thank you so so much for for talking about that in such an open way now going back to um the the other side of this conversation outside in how did that happen in your life how did you got come in contact with outside in well i was so lucky actually um that Jackie, the I was I was you know as, as I mentioned before I was I was in prison and I I was feeling quite distressed and the teacher gave me the the paintbrushes and the painting and she actually submitted my paintings for me I she'd asked me and I didn't really know what she was submitting them to so I was obviously over the moon when when they when they were you know selected and um, yeah outside in became like a relationship. I also won the Costler Prize, but I I didn't. There wasn't really a relationship formed there, um, or I'm very grateful for having that experience. Um, but outside in kind of brings you in, and or brought me in, and uh, you know I was part of a a bunch of a small group of people at the time, um, a small group of artists who'd won the 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 exhibition or been given opportunities and uh, I was I don't know I guess cared about in an artistic way my, my work was made valid and because they validated it um, it was valid for me and it had a knock-on effect I, I think just small validations can make a big deal to, to people you know they how they feel about themselves how they go about their day so that that kind of validation and the having an exhibition to look forward to and work towards really helped me because you know when you come out of prison you again you've got nothing it's it's again rebuilding yourself and I was really lucky a friend gave me work um in costume so I helped make costumes for him 
and uh, I focused on making the work for my exhibition and whereas I probably could have felt quite down I, I'm not t I don't tend towards depression but I, I I probably wouldn't have felt my best um you know I I just thought right well I've got an exhibition I'm going to do this I'm going to make these things and I I'm a really hard worker so I worked really really hard to that ex for that exhibition and it kept me focused no matter what else happened around me I kept myself very focused on that exhibition and uh, I was really proud of myself when I did it I mean the show in the studio at Pallant House was, was small you know not like the one that was just happened recently which was massive in the um, Piano Noble it was a really small event and about 10 people came to it in the studio there but that made me so happy I felt so proud of myself my mom came and uh, I hung it, you know, I hung it on myself. I had so much real experience of, of putting on an exhibition and it was, it was so useful because exhibitions are hard work and you've got to think about everything. And, and that's helped me to this day, you know. Uh, so my work ethic obviously helped. I'm, I have always been a hard worker. And then after that exhibition, I was followed up with, with sales. My work was sold. And uh, I... I Throughout the years, I've had a few opportunities with outside in. Like I had an opportunity to talk at the Tate Modern, um, which was quite extraordinary. I thought, gosh, who wants to listen to me? <laughs> but and it was really difficult to talk. I remember my wanting to say something, but my my throat was tied up because I was so nervous. But I did say something in the end, and I'm glad that I said it. And just that was a great experience because it's given you confidence. You're learning to speak in front of lots of people and you're being, again, validated. And I think that has helped. And so throughout the years, I've had the odd show. And then in 2017, I... Um, graduated from St Martin's with a, um, a master's de um, degree in fine art and and, and after that I, Mark messaged me and said he'd like to meet me and I was like oh, okay yeah sure we met up and he asked me would I like to be a trustee for the charity and uh, I was obviously said yes because I would like to give back because I want to be able to help people in or to help to help, to help people um, like me or, or other people who who are looking to art to help to get them through tough times and so obviously I said yes because I, I was so grateful to Outside In for the opportunity but also for the repeated opportunity and and always believing in me and um, you know and, and it doesn't stop and so it's all a very giving situation where it's They've enabled me to help myself, and so I want to enable others to help themselves by talking about my experience on things like this podcast or on the video, which is on the Outside In website. Because obviously, as I don't feel so comfortable talking about uh, myself as a, as a prisoner because I, it, it's in the past, but if those past experiences of hitting hard times and overcoming them can help people then I think it's quite important, especially now, especially in COVID when people are facing such massive changes to their lives, um, that, you know, if, if people can find strength through art and be validated through that, I think, yeah, 
I, I want to give back to that charity. And you already mentioned now that your, your connection with Outside In is not just as an artist, uh, you're also, also a trustee. What do you think you bring to um, Outside In um, being being so close to, to, to the charity? You already mentioned giving back, but what do you think you bring to, to the charity itself? Um, I hope that I'm a, a little voice that... Um, well, I, I am part of an advisory group, so I, I go... Um, I, I speak to the artists there, so I, I work with them as well. But but myself, um, I think I, I I am a success story. Success doesn't mean that that doesn't have to mean that you're in, you know, top galleries and you know everyone's bidding for your artwork. Uh, if you're an artist, I think I'm successful because I have a family and I have I have a practice that I I love and. Um, I have a life that makes me happy and so I think you can look at me as as outside in outside in can look at me as a success story to help other people to see yeah you can you can do it too you know just just focus just keep your mind on something you know work hard so yeah I, I, I bring a positive attitude. Danielle which materials do you often use and do you have any favourites? I love oil paint. It's just such a beautiful material. It's so... The feeling of putting oil paint on a brush and in onto the canvas or mixing it with like, like a beeswax or um, stand oil and watching it drip and moving it and pushing it around and lifting it off with rags and smashing it against the canvas or scraping it off is it's just the most wonderful material and um yeah i i do use other things but i think oil paint really connects with how i work and how i paint do you do you ever mix any other materials on that or it's just uh, oil paint i don't i i really i'm really interested in um other mediums and and how they kind of affect the oil paint i'm quite interested in really building up layers at the minute um i have in my past i've worked in lots of different materials and then whenever i've worked with materials i'm always looking for difference so for example i made a sculpture for my um masters uh, my final show for my master's uh, degree and it was made of sheet um sheet steel and i had it with, uh, as a set for a performance where I painted the performers and they worked plasticine and I really wanted the plasticine, the malleable, um, gooey, changeable element to be used alongside the, the steel because the steel was very solid, immovable and I, I like to bring these two opposites together. I've, I've always been interested in how to bring difference together and I, and I think material is a really great way to do that. Um, I also made like textile. I've also made textile pieces where I brought together like analog printing and digital printing and uh, different types of printing all in one piece um, to make those work together onto different fabrics and seeing how how they work. So I'm always very interested in mixing uh, materials and seeing how how they go together or how they don't go together. I've done a project before where. Um, I was given the opportunity to do to, to dress a 200-year-old tree in um, the botanical gardens in uh, Moscow. 
and I sent 30 packets or maybe more of the same materials like plastics, laces, um, out to uh, lots of different artists to work with and then I combined them all together into one piece which makes this uh, big dress for the tree um, and that was really interesting. So I was interested in how other people uh, mix materials together and then I mix them together. So I think um, bringing together difference uh, through material has always been a real focus for me. I think I think it's really interesting, and of course, talking with with other people inside of outside in, uh, uh, like we have done in last uh, few few weeks since we we work so close to outside in, is is almost uh, like I said is a proof of concept. The, the the idea was was one. There was something missing to support artists like you and 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 a few others around the country, uh, over five thousand by now since uh, the charity been been set up, but. But you actually prove that um, the concept works because, like you said, you are a success case of the, the charity uh, because you needed help. The charity helped you and now you're doing uh, a great a great job. And of course, you're a great artist. Um, Daniel, almost in the end, but I need to ask you this question. What does the future hold for you as an artist? Oh, it's a big question. Um, well, I, I want to keep painting. I absolutely love painting um, so that will always be a constant um, I'd like to venture out into more performative projects because I really love working with performers it's such an extraordinary thing to be able to work with performers and um, I'd also like to be involved with helping um, or working with more artists you know uh, together in kind of collaborative projects so that's something that I would like in the future but that is obviously a post Covid future where, um, you know, we can be together again and feel happy and safe with that. Um, but yeah, just right now I'm in such a great place. I have, uh, I'm making artwork. I'm in a brilliant um, painting program. I'm surrounded by great artists, and you know I couldn't ask for more. So if I get more of the same, I'm going to be a very very happy person. <laughs> That's a great way, a great message to Danielle. Thank you very much for your time today. It's great to speak with you. No problem. Thank you. At Goodfellow, we do everything we can to remain environmentally friendly. Jacob Rock is an environmentally friendly artist who describes his work as urban archaeology. Collecting waste material from the roadside, beans and any place he can find it. Jacob then creates sculptures from waste. Jacob's work also exemplifies how art can be made without spending a penny. Hello, Jacob. Thank you very much for joining me today. Hello, Joe. So let's going to start from the beginning. And how did your love for art start? Well, that's a tricky one. I've been sort of thinking about that one a bit, is that um, I can't think of a, a definite date. Um, I do have a memory back in my primary school days when I must have been about well, about, I suppose I would have been about about nine, and um, I was because I did have a rather difficult education. I was, I was up in the remedial room, which was in the old projector room, up a ladder, and I do remember on Fridays we were allowed to leave that room, and I've got some memory of a big easel I set up with a huge piece of paper, which I used to slap paints all over. Um, to my heart's delight, and that was my escapism. 
um, from my difficulties with education, with my um, neurodiversity. Um, and I think that was probably quite important, uh, but it was certainly after I left school that, and that I, I, I started exploring more potential of creativity. And, and how do you describe your art? Oh, oh, intuitive, impulsive, erratic, all embracing. Is the way that you create those amazing pieces of, of, uh, of art that, that we all like to, to look at them and they're, in, they're incredible. And, and when you are not creating art, what, what do you do? Okay, well, I, I work um, as a historic building consultant, um, which is something I retrained for about five or so years ago with my partner. So that's um, writing heritage assessments on historic buildings and giving advice um, and vernacular buildings, which I really enjoy the almost interest in the materials, whether it be lime or stone or brick and the usage of that. But I also work um, part-time supporting vulnerable young people um, to help them achieve their potential in education, perhaps young people who haven't been as successful and help them work towards a qualification. So they're some of the things I do outside of my artwork. Yes. Keep you keep you very busy with with all that, and you already mentioned the way that you you collect your your materials for for your uh, piece of art. And um, where where did the inspiration came from, and how long have you been creating this kind of art? Twenty five years ago, I and before that, I I used to work with ceramics, and I used to work with wood um, as my materials and offcuts of wood and and those materials. And I slowly started finding the limitations of those, especially for larger pieces of work and sculptures outside, certainly with found and off-cut bits of timber. Um, sometimes we would find that after one would worked on it a bit, that a worm would appear and you'd find it had woodworm. And the, the process of, of ceramics broke away from the in, intuitive feeling. So I started finding I was adding more and more found objects into the works I was making and took the leap to just focus on the found objects in, in my works. Um, and that was about 25 years ago. Um, and, and I suppose the, the inspiration is, it really is, is the objects themselves and what they suggest and what they can communicate to me and how I can transform them from waste material and rubbish into recognizable forms. Hmm. A, f a few weeks ago, we had a podcast about green material and, of course, the environment uh, concerns. Um, doing, doing this type of art, do you think, um, does the environment have an inspiration for your art or just happen to, to, to start like that? I mean, my artwork is a, I suppose it's a direct response to my environment because the objects I use come from the environment around me and it sort of the collecting and re reusing sort of society's waste materials um, I suppose sometimes I've thought they can be seen as, as, as almost a protest a sort of um, because I choose to take and recycle found raw materials rather than use new materials rather than actually um, buying materials. It's almost a way of 
celebrating avoiding waste and finding sort of a reuse for what other people consider as rubbish, something that they've consumed and thrown away and and sort of that that transforming that waste and it's so so obvi obvious and recognizable that the, the objects within my work are everyday objects almost um, that you would you wouldn't consider as being sculptural materials. I think I make quite a strong statement there. But they are, and, and really nice sculptures. And uh, and where do you find your materials? I know that some of them are from the, the roadside, but uh, do you have any other sources uh, of, of material? Well, the majority of my objects are from the roadside. Um, and it's normally objects pe people don't see. I mean, I, I, I've almost got this eye, this, this roving eye that I can't walk anywhere without stumbling, seeing the objects there. And it is, I have a sort of, I give myself boundaries quite sort of, it's quite a ritual process. And I have the boundaries that I won't use any materials that I haven't found myself, that haven't been through some, some evolution or some process. But I have been known to uh, raid skips um, for some materials. I did some years back make a piece of, artwork which I called the beast from the skip as it was all bits of old pipe and bits of plumber's materials and um, objects like that but yeah it's, it's mainly objects from the street and objects that are well, and the road sometimes and objects that are, that are discarded and uh, are you always careful collecting those those materials am I always careful not always careful i sometimes am lost lost in my thought and i have been known to see a lovely piece of metal sitting in the middle of the road and walk straight out into the road um, to take that piece and then realizing or pick things out of the gutter um, which i am exposing myself to a passing bus but um, i do try to be careful but i am sometimes very absorbed in what i'm doing it is really urban archaeology and it is i suppose like the field walking that archaeologists will do as, as they're looking for the objects and you're lost completely from that that clear-cut vision of, of, of see, not seeing anything else but those objects in the environment just to everyone that is listening this this podcast please do not try to do this uh, um, and, and get yourselves in, into trouble. <laughs> um, when I look at your, at your piece of art, I always think, how did you get to where they are? Um, because one of the things is um, the way that you collect materials and you put them together is, is, is very impressive and, uh, and create really interesting uh, pieces of art. Um, have you ever had to put a piece on hold while you are waiting for the right material for that part of, of the piece? interesting because i mean because um what i collect is sort of a random un unplanned encounter very often i can't sort of rely that i'm going to come across a certain piece of material i mean i have um huge collections and hordes and 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 um, containers full of materials that are sitting to one side and i'll sometimes rummage through those but there are often times when i'm working on i'll sometimes be working on two or three pieces at the same time and as you say sometimes those pins those pieces of sculptures will stop and it is often sometimes that train of thought has has, has, has 
is no longer running and I've got to step back. But there is sometimes if I'm looking for a particular piece that will fit or a particular eyeball or a, a certain set of teeth. Um, now I think of it, I will sometimes be trained in looking for that particular piece. And by chance, I mean, there is a, a special freedom with collecting found objects, but there's also a, a lack of freedom because what I collect is only restricted to what I come across within my boundaries. And that's sort of reliant on a chance in, encounter. But it does give me a wonderful opportunity to sometimes sort of change my direction. I'll, I'll come across, you know, a piece or an object or a, a piece of writing on and I'll suddenly go, wow, and it, I'll stop what I was doing and go off on a to totally different track. It's, it's very, very frustrating, but good in the end. But uh, that's how you you get you get those those materials that you need. Mm. And I can see, of course, looking at through through your Instagram and and also the outside in page that um, where where your your collection is. There's lots of pieces of um, with animals. Um, do you have a passion for wildlife? Yeah, I mean, I I I, I, I have a sort of affinity to with animals, and especially scavengers. Um, perhaps seeing myself as a scavenger and see, seeing the animals, whether it's a, a, a hyena or a, a, a rook I've made in the past, or a crow or crabs, animals that are on the, the, the edge, that are perhaps um, not always admired and seen, seen, seen as trouble. But also, the, I've got a great interest in the way uh, animals have had an important part whether it's through back to the cave paintings, back to um, shamanism and the importance of, of the animals within cultures. Um, and, but I also like the other side from the, the, the wild um, animal to the domesticated. And I'm very interested in, in that contradiction between, um, on the one hand, the wild animal, to the other hand, hand I'm obsessed with people walking their dogs on leads where they have this controlled animal um, which they take well they take for walks it takes them for walks and they have to pick up its poo and they have to be servants to it and I love that that play between between the beast and the domesticated animal and that captive and, uh, and that that look and that that feel come across in most of your uh, piece of work. Um, I mentioned already outside in. Of course, this podcast is about outside in and about the charity. How did you become involved in the outside in, and how did they help you throughout your your career? Well, quite. I think it was quite early on when, after they they had begun, and I think I I was working on the edges of the art world. Perhaps not always um, because what I collect. Um, allows me in the way I work um, to be free of the, I suppose, the constraints of mainstream um, art thinking um, and the fixed attitudes. But that also sometimes sets one's aside. aside. And I was drawn to an article um, in a magazine or a newspaper where they were talking about outside in setting itself up and what its objectives were. And I... Um, thought about it for a bit and then I uh, I contacted them and and I I was accepted into the as, as one of their artists um, and that belonging that being part of a creative organization that gives me opportunities like this um, talking to you and being able to um, have my work 
shown to a wider audience, given opportunities to take part in things, has made an incredible difference to um, myself, my and uh, my well-being, and also my my place as a um, as an artist. Mm-hmm. And uh, you've been with the charity for 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 all those years, and uh, and of course. They, they, they are yes, have, trying yeah. to, to, to take things outside of this uh, box that the art can be. And, and you do think outside of the box because of your, of your work and, and the way that you achieve your, your, your piece of art. Um, do you think outside in is um, help you to embrace your art? Or, 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 or do you think without outside in, you carry on this, this career like you, 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 you've done for the last few years? I think outside in have made a big difference because I think it is that um, encouragement and I think it is that um, that instilling the feeling that there is value to what one does um, and opportunities like taking part in exhibitions. I mean, I, I've taken part um, in uh, an exhibition at the Pound House Gallery. I was, I was um, selected to have my work at um, Sotheby's, which was a wonderful opportunity, and actually sold a piece of artwork there. The first I'd sold for once for quite some time, and I've currently got my work, a piece of my work at um, the Compton Verney um, folk art collection with Outside In, um, and I, I, I think it is it is that enabling, and I think it is there. There are so many people who um, are creative. Who are who create art because they have to create art because it's a compulsion, but it also is part of them, and it's not always fitting in with being able to write complex statements um, and entries for exhibitions to be able to go through the rigor of of selling yourself and perhaps being more isolated, but still having that value. And I think outside in gives the people that connection and that value, and enables them to to. Um, um, be involved, I think, in, in societies, really, and the creativity. But yes, you have your your your, your place in, in in art world, and I think uh, that's that's the great work that um, outside in does is helping people being themselves and not making them become something that they are not, just for the sake of. How does people react to your to your work? Um, I, I I'm always surprised how popular. Um, my artwork is um it's i suppose because there are, there are recognizable pieces that people um can see within the works the subject matter of animals always um is draws people in i think people find a, a humor in my work even in when i haven't inten- intentionally put it there um my front garden is full of sculptures um facing onto the street um from uh, beasts and animals, to a huge stag made out of rubbish, to um, two big um, totem-like um, heads that are made out of, um, I call them my vacuum cleaner heads, because they were started out of um, some old vacuum cleaner heads that I found by the side of the road. And people stop and are quite delighted by them. And you see, and I've, I've, I quite, I enjoy that feedback that it brings pleasure into people's lives. I think it's something that your, your work 
uh, actually brings is always a smile because, you know, even from, I know that you have some pieces of wood that are quite big. You have pictures of that on, on your Instagram, you next to some of the, but then you, you got to small things like just a can. Uh, um, so I think, I think it's, it's incredible. You have been featuring different, different places, but one of the ones that I really want to talk about, and I want you to tell me a little bit more about that is the one of the probably more uh, recent ones last year um in tom allen's magazine show how does that happen well that 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 was ra a rather strange because um my my dear son um who's in his 20s um after lots of hard work at the national film school um is is now working in television um in program production and um, Tom Allen was one of the comedians that his company was working with and they were looking out for people to do podcasts and do um, parts of the show and um, I was suggested and I, I had to do a short piece about my artwork and um, about uh, how I was, it was about how I was getting through the lockdown um, and what I was doing and I was saying I, I create art, art out of rubbish and I his um, normal his I suppose it's quite like Tom Ann and he, 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 he was saying is this art out of rubbish or is it rubbish art that's up to you to decide which I thought was quite amusing um, contrast but that was a lovely opportunity and I love doing things like that um, at level so that was great that was a great opportunity and I think is you know bring again bring the humor to your to your work uh, that is a serious work but is a, is an interesting and, and and can be fun work I think is is a great a great way to do it. Um, what do you think is your proudest achievement when it comes to art? I, I suppose it it is being you know I think the exhibition at Sotheby's was quite a quite a, a big had a big impact on me. Um, I think surviving is one of my proudest achievements. Um, keeping going all this time, um, uh, which is one of the things outside in has helped me. Because there is times when one is struggling away and you know trying to keep things going, and sometimes it is it is that encouragement that makes the big difference. But I, I think it is it is sometimes getting that recognition, um, which something like the Sotheby's did, it, it made me feel worth and feel really proud of what I was doing and it was that feedback from other people and as you say people people getting something back from what I do um, even if it is something dangerous which I do remember um, when I did have my some of my sculptures in a in a, a sort of public sculpture garden a big crocodile I had it was quite a um, life-size with big open mouth with rather sharp teeth made out of um, broken pieces of um, card headlights, which I find are the lovely orange and red and indicator pieces, and a young child's head was put inside by the father inside the mouth of the crocodile, so a, a very good photograph could be taken, and that one gives me wonderful pleasure. I did put a sign up out after that one saying, beware of the animals, they have sharp teeth. <laughs> That's a great way to to make sure that everybody is, is aware of your of your art too. Um, you already mentioned, uh, of course, the, the pandemic uh, and how has that uh, affected you and your work in the last year? An interesting effect because one thing, um, the collecting has taken on a very different feel. I mean, I'm not 
I'm not going out as much. I mean, I don't purposely go out to find my objects. I find objects as I as I go walking, wherever I'm going, I tend to find them. But there certainly isn't as many objects around because you, it makes me very aware that it is, is people that and cars and and that interaction which creates my raw materials. And certainly I haven't been as aware of that. But also it's changed my feeling. We're washing our hands. We're being very aware that what we touch and what we're around has got um, germs on. And it, it has made me think, what am I doing? Picking things out of the gutter. Is this something that I should be doing? Um, has me, made me a bit more aware of that. Um, and also it's, it's, it's made me think more about my artwork um, and my collection because I've got a vast collection of materials. Some of it's in order, like I've got a big pot that, that says eyes and one that says teeth. And it's made me re-examine that and re-examine those. And I have been making two sculptures at the moment called my Lockdown Dogs, which I've almost got completed. One smaller one and one larger one. And they've both been made out of ex exhaust mufflers, the big tube. And that's been quite a challenge to work on. And what is the future? And where can we see your, your, your art in the future? Well, I'm hoping. I haven't got any definite exhibitions coming up at the moment, but watch my Pinterest page, my, my Instagram page, sorry, that I currently am thinking I'm certainly going to do a performance piece with my two lockdown dogs, because I do quite like um, being involved with them um, and I'm, I'm thinking to setting up some photography sessions with me on the common with my two dogs on chains I think um, I don't quite mind if I make a spectacle of myself because um, I can go above that that's what I'm thinking about and think think thinking about about um, hopefully just talking to you and and thinking about um, you know different uses of materials and the way that my artwork is driven by materials in my environment just thinking about there is more potential to it and and thinking about you know do i start thinking beyond my narrow constraints do i start thinking out with with more within the recycled and within within the materials i use we we really um like to talk to you and wanted to talk to you because we make we as good fellow make a big effort of course to to reuse as much as we can and avoid any um any any scrap uh, uh, as as much as you can and you actually take that to a, a step further so it's is great to 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 have you on on our podcast and talk to you about your work um Jacob thank you so much for your time well, thank you, Joel. It's been, it has been great talking to you and, and really I love talking about my work. So thank you so much. We will leave all the notes about uh, uh, the things that we talk about uh, and of course the links for your, for your social media platform and also for the outside in page for everyone to see your work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. That means an awful lot. It really does. Join us next week when we will be discussing Inconel and other 3D printing materials. Aphrodite and Adam will expertly explain why Inconel is such an amazing material. We'll also be joined by two 3D printing companies, 
First, Rob Lent from Vision Miner join us to talk about the business, the 3D printing world, and why the costs and accessibility to this industry have reduced significantly over recent years. Based in USA, Rob explains how he routinely assists new business to flourish by joining this ever-growing industry. We also join by Kay Hanna from Geeky Meeples, a small UK-based 3D printing company which started during lockdown to become an expanding business which already generates enough income to support her family. Her story is relatable and inspirational. Follow us on Instagram page for more information on upcoming episodes. I go live with guests to cover any questions we may have missed on the podcast. We also welcome questions from listeners and the best way to put those questions to us is via Instagram, materials underscore inside. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can access all the information on the website www.materialshub.com. The images and any case studies mentioned can also be found at www.goodfellow.com news case hyphen studies. This podcast is also available on alternative podcast directories, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, Deezer, TuneIn, Overcast and many more. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast and invite you to help us in supporting Outside In, the charity which aims to make the art world a fair place for everyone. Donations, no matter how big or small, make a huge difference to artists who have struggled to make themselves heard. We welcome you to join us in supporting Outside In. For all the information, visit the website materialshub.com forward slash podcast.